Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for braving the elements. Isn't it just awesome living in the north in January? It's so awesome. It's bald, skinny guy season. Not really, so thanks for braving it. Great to have you here. Welcome to everyone joining us online. I think a fair amount of our congregation is choosing uh, some nice warm confines of a living room area perhaps this morning, so great to have you with us. Your online host will direct you to the notes as well. Got an announcement to celebrate a family here in the church. Welcome the newest addition to the Eagle family. Let's put it up for the Lusador, Margaret Catherine. She was born Christmas morning. How about that? A Christmas morning baby. So Margaret is not going to lack for gifts on her birthday celebrations, right? So congrats to her parents, Philip and Mary. And so this is child number three for the Lusador family. I imagine they are home in the warm confines there. So congrats, Lusadors. All right, if you have a Bible with you, open it up. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I entitled the message this morning, Jesus's School of Prayer. Jesus's School of Prayer. May 2023, there was a pretty widespread study done across America concerning our views regarding prayer. It was tied to the National Day of Prayer, so some researchers put their hands to work, and they found out May 2023, that 61% of Americans say that they pray. Same study said that 85% of Americans say, quote, they perform some kind of spiritual practice to connect with a higher power, 85%. Kind of aligns with what uh, 17th century George Herbert, he's a poet and a priest, He said, there was something in us from God that knows we're not alone in the universe. Calvin, in his Divine Institutes, he wrote about the divine tetatus, which means this, a capacity for human beings to perceive God. So his Latin phrase said, this points to why humans have such an interest in prayer, because there's something inside of us that reaches for the divine. Of course, Romans chapter 1, Paul put it this way in verse 20, says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. That's Paul's way of saying that's how you know you're not alone in the universe. That God has revealed Himself in such a way that everyone deep down inside knows His eternal power and divine nature. Well, this week I came across an article by Jackie Frost. Uh, she's an assistant uh, professor of psychology or of sociology up at Purdue University. She published an article this week that caught my attention. Here was the title, quote, Inside Secular Churches. It intrigued me. It drew me in. So then she goes on to describe what she has found to be what she calls atheist churches. And she points out that there's even the first atheist Mega church. It's called Sunday Assembly. Have you heard of it? It's based in London. It now has branches in 20 different areas of the world. Sunday, I went to the website. It was a very interesting perusing of the website. At the top kind of banner on the Sunday Assembly, Atheist Mega Church website, it said, We are a global, it says, We are a global, secular, non religious movement for wonder and good. Good without God. And then Professor Frost goes on to describe Seattle Atheist Church and North 
Texas Church of Free Thought. That would be an interesting gathering, huh? So I, I did a little research to say, here's kind of a display of the info area at one of the gatherings of the atheist churches. I put a picture of it here. Some of the, you could get info like this. It says, born again humanist, God, less is more. Or they say, I believe in life before death. When I read that, I thought, so does Jesus. Yeah. So Professor Frost goes on to describe her research in these secular or atheist churches. She says that experiences when you gather, it's about testimonies and sing-alongs, but nothing supernatural. They actually, some hold de-baptism services. So it invites people to kind of renounce their former religious, God-centered ways of life. They're into celebrating science, experiencing nature, and affirming atheist beliefs. So what, what's my point with all? My, my, point, my point is that you can take this instinct that's planted deep inside of you to reach for the divine, and you can turn to all the wrong places and go all the wrong directions. See, it's possible to be deeply devoted to prayer and have no connection to the God who gave you life and the Savior who gave you grace. Culturally, it's really a very in thing, right? It's called like mindfulness or even some yoga practices, and there's all kinds of these things that have you turn towards this thing called prayer. But you could be deeply devoted to prayer with all the wrong spirit. Like in the New Testament, that's what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were some of the most praying people on the planet. And Jesus says, but they missed the whole heart and spirit of prayer to the point where Jesus called the Pharisees the most praying people. He called them whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. That's Bible language for not a compliment. He's not passing out compliments there. So church, what are... So here's what I I think as the vast majority of Americans may be enthralled or committed to prayer, it tells me that we need Jesus' help to disciple us in prayer more than ever. That we want to be a praying people and we want to be a praying church and that we look to Jesus to disciple us in this life of prayer. It's that important. And so that's why we're in Luke 11 this morning. I think Luke 11 is Jesus' master class on prayer. It starts with this amazing dialogue where the disciples see Jesus praying, which evidently they saw him do often, and then they come to him and they say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Notice they don't say like, would you teach us to like drive out demons? Would you teach us to heal? Would you teach us to lead? Would you teach us to care for the poor? No, they come and they ask, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And then Jesus launches into this five-module class, his master class on prayer. And if you haven't pulled out your notes yet, you kind of see I put the outline there for you. So we're going to look at five different modules in Jesus' class on prayer in Luke 11. We're going to look at the content of prayer. We're going to look at the attitude of prayer, the experience of prayer, the heart of prayer, and the power encounter of prayer. So who's ready to go to class? You can go to class when it's 20 below, right? Let's go to Jesus' master class together, even when it's 20 below outside. And let's get started with the content of prayer. Now, this is his most well-known teaching on prayer, because notice he says in verse 2 of Luke 11, do you see this? When you pray, say, 
You know, look at that. He says, when you pray, say, and then he tells you like what he wants you to say. And this is where he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is Luke's summary of a much wider, sum, a much wider context in Matthew's recollection of it. It's called the our father. It's called the Lord's prayer. Some theologian call it the prayer of all prayers. So it actually, Jesus is saying, here's your content of your praying. And he grounds us, notice as you start on the praying way, he says you start it turning your eyes upward towards God as your Father. The single most common metaphor for God in the scriptures is this role of Father. And he says, hey, as you step into praying, you, you, before you start like just unloading all the stuff you want to talk to God about, which he'll get to, he says first he wants to ground us in this kind of parent-child relationship. He wants us to have a vision of God that we're speaking with as our Father. Martin Luther refers to this as, implant in our hearts, O Lord, a comforting trust in your fatherly love. Isn't that a great phrase? So start there. Plant deeply in your heart this comforting trust in the fatherly love. That's where you begin as you step into this life of prayer. Now, the moment you raise this imagery of father, for some, it can create some really deep-seated emotions. Some of us have experiences in this life with our earthly fathers that are far from optimal. They're not maybe good. Maybe they're very difficult, maybe estranged, broken, hurting. And so here's a vision Jesus wants to give us. No matter what our experience is with our earthly father, he's saying, hey, why don't you start here putting your eyes on your heavenly father whose character is good and generous and kind and wise and trustworthy. That's where you're going to start in to this life on the praying way. So Tim Keller, I put this quote in your notes here for you. The character of prayer is determined by the character of the God we are reaching toward. This is why it's so confusing today, church, in the, world, in the culture of prayer today. Because it's a confusion about the image of the God to whom we're speaking. See this? The God to whom Christians pray is a triune God. We can pray because God is our loving Father. Because Christ is our mediator giving us access to the throne of the universe. And because the Spirit himself indwells us. And this is why worship is such a central part of our praying because in worship, we remind ourselves of the character of the God that we are addressing. That it helps us keep our sense grounded in who we are speaking with. It's the songs and the melodies and the lyrics that our worship team does such a great job. John leading them and helps setting before us the kinds of songs that remind us the character of the God that we are addressing. So when you look at the Psalms, it's like he's robed in majesty and armed with strength. That's who you're talking to, Psalm 93. That his greatness no one can fathom, Psalm 145. Or Psalm 103 says he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Tozer put it this way, he says, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Probably a good word for 2024, eh? We need a high view of God that will help sort out the complex times in which we're living. That's why when we gather like we did all week long, 
Thank you for everyone who came out this week, Monday through Friday, various nights. Some of you came each night, some of you came a couple of nights, but we just had gatherings seven to eight each night this week as a congregation. We call our prayer sets, they're grounded in worship that helps guide our intercession. You see, the reason John and the team led us in the songs of worship and exalting God, because you've got to understand who you're talking to so it shapes what you're talking about. And that's where Jesus starts his master class on prayer. He says, hey, right here, the content of your prayer is our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, and on and on it goes. He says, you start there. There's your content that begins to shape now. We'll move into the second module, what you're talking about. So he moves into this attitude of prayer, verses 5 to 8 in Luke 11. Notice there it says in verse 5, you see it in your Bibles if you got it, it says, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. So he's telling them a parable, and it's called the friend at midnight. And it's this guy who's got a friend who's really in need, comes beating on the door at midnight, but his friend is comfortable and warm and not interested in getting out of bed to help his friend in need. And he tells this parable and kind of turns it towards prayer in verse 8. He says, yet because of the man's persistent, some of your Bibles say boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So do you see this? So here's, the, here's this attitude of prayer that he's calling us into. He's saying, just like this friend at midnight who was reluctant to get out of bed and help someone in need, he's saying, when you set your feet on the praying way, you have to have a deep sense of resolve that you're not going to give up. That there's going to be times in which it just feels like the gap between your prayers prayed and your prayers answered, it just gets too wide, it gets too long, it gets too discouraging, and you're going to be tempted to give up. And so into that space, he says, hey, God's got all the power and resources to help you, and he'll help those around you. He has the capacity to do it, but there are times he's not going to respond in the way you want and in the specific time frame that you want. And generally, if you've been on the praying way for any length of time, that's the general pattern. It doesn't happen all the time, but frequently it's not the way we thought or in the timing that we thought. And that when we, and that the experience sometimes in prayer will feel like this friend at midnight, like my friend is being inattentive and unresponsive to me beating at the door that I am in need. Sometimes our relationship with God, it can feel like that in our praying. And that's why Jesus sets this parable before. Hey, you've got to have this attitude. That prayer isn't just about receiving from God, it is that, we're going to get to that in a minute, but it's also about the kind of person you're becoming as you pray and you wait and you persevere and you're persistent. It's about who you're becoming in him while you're in that space like the friend at midnight. It's the Christ-like character that's built in the gap. And see, some of you, this is where you're at in 2024 right now. Some of you, that's exactly where this year is starting. You have been perhaps quietly or not so quietly murmuring, frustrated towards the Lord, feeling he's unresponsive and inattentive to these deepest needs that you've been crying out for. And you just feel like your just prayers are hitting like a brass ceiling. Like what's the point? And you're considering kind of giving up on the whole vision of it. And here's what Jesus in his second module here in the school of prayer, here's what he invites us to do. He's like, hey, if, if that's where you're at, Jesus would say, just shift your focus a little bit this morning. 
take it off specifically what you're praying for and set it back on, back on the first module, set it back on our Father who art in heaven and rest in this, that God is at work in the space in between the prayers prayed and the prayers answered, and he's doing something in that gap that you can't see right now. It's way more significant than you realize, and he's not unresponsive, and he's not inattentive. He's at work just in a different way, and that we stay persistent. We don't give up hope. We're like the friend at midnight, and we have to have this, I'm not going to give up even when there's a gap in the expectations of what's happening here. And so this is the, so we move from the content of prayer, our Father, to the attitude of prayer, the friend at midnight. Stay with me now. We're going to the experience of prayer, the third module in Luke 11. Notice verse 9 and 10. So he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. So you see this third module now, he says he moves you to the experience of prayer. So he says your actual experience in this life of prayer will be one of receiving and finding and having doors opened. Isn't this beautiful? Like Jesus says, this is actually how the life will work. That there's this, he turns super practical here. He's like, you're going to set yourself on this life of prayer, and you're going to experience a life of receiving what you're asking for, of finding the way, of seeing doors open. Like, that's actually what's going to happen. And the verb tense he uses here is this ask and keep on asking. It kind of harkens back to the friend at midnight picture. So he's saying, you seek and keep on seeking, you knock and keep on knocking. That you stay at it and your experience will be one that some of you are starting this year and you're like, you're praying to find a job. Jesus says your expectation of experience in prayer when you're praying for a job is that you find a job. (laughs) And you're going to be praying for strength to endure a really hard time. And Jesus says your experience as you pray for strength to endure a hard time is that you actually receive strength to endure a hard time. You're praying for peace in the midst of something that brings you great anxiety. Jesus said, expect that peace will come. You're praying for a body that's breaking down. And you're asking the Lord to heal and touch your body. Your experience will be Jesus can and will bring healing. Or you pray for reconciliation in a relationship that's broken. And Jesus said, expect over the course of time and in his way, he can mend back together and reconcile and heal a relationship that's broken down. This is the baseline, like, experience of prayer. This is like a picture. It may not be in the time frame that we expected. Often there's a gap between when we start praying. That's why he says, ask and keep on asking. But the important element in this life of prayer is that you go to a God that you are going to receive what it is you are speaking with him about. That's an important module in Jesus' class of prayer, that we have this first is the content of prayer. It's our Father who art in heaven. And then we've got this attitude of prayer. We're going to be the friend at midnight. We're going to be persistent. We're not going to give up. And then we have this expectation, this experience of prayer, that our actual praying life will be filled with open doors and receiving requests and finding what it is we're looking for, which thrusts us now into the fourth module of prayer. He just keeps going. He's just building these modules in this master class. Look where he goes in verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? See, that's the language of the less to more teaching principle that Jesus uses all through the New Testament. He'll take a situation and contrast it then and say, how much more is God this way that your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is the heart of God for us in prayer, like a loving father who wants to give good gifts to his children. That's what Jesus says. As the heart of God towards you as you step into this praying life is that of a good, good father who wants to give generous gifts to his children. I shared this quote from Tim Keller a few weeks ago. I think it's equally applicable this morning. He says, you must have this confidence when you pray that God will give you whatever you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. That's the... And we had to have this confidence when we go to prayer. This is an important module. That when you go to him and you're asking for fish, he's not the kind of God who's going to give you a snake. That's not how this works. And for some this morning, God wants to heal perhaps some experience that you've had in your life of prayer where you were praying on something and it was so drastically different how it turned out that there's, begun, there's kind of an undermining of God's character that's happened and Jesus wants to redeem and restore that. And say, no, the God you're praying to is a good, good father who's going to give good gifts to you. He has your best in mind. And that he's not this God who's like a, you know, an earthly father that's like reluctant and is like recalcitrant and who's like aloof. He's not that kind of a father. He's a father who is wise and loving and kind and generous in what he's doing. He sees you. He knows you. He has your best in mind. And so when he is responding in a way that's not in line with how you've expected him, here's what you can rest in. You come back to the character of the God that you're talking with. You say, God, even though I don't understand, even though I can't see, here's what I'm going to rest in. I'm going to rest in that you would grant me whatever it is I would ask if I knew everything that you did. Which then Isaiah 55 reminds us how high are his ways above our ways. Remember that? As high as the heavens are above the earth, which the scientists tell us about 15.5 billion light years is the latest number. Now, how they figure that out, who knows? But there's a, a lot of numbers with a lot of zero. So it's like God's ways are 15.5 billion light years beyond our ways. And so if we knew everything he knows, then we can trust that the ways we would be praying, he would deliver in those ways. So if he's not delivering he's got he sees the bigger frame and he's up to something that's just different and we have to trust you see how important it is then you trust the character of who you're speaking with it reminded me i heard the story of a younger pastor who when he first went into the ministry he was talking about how he felt this burden to pray for revival and awakening in his church and in his community and his town and so he set himself as a young pastor to pray consistently for revival he would pray for revival in the church and revival in the community, revival in the town. And he did this for years and years. And then he sensed a leading from God to stop praying for revival, and he thought it was really odd. And so he went to an older pastor and mentor. And the older pastor and mentor said something like this to help him understand what was going. Here's what he said, quote, God is being gracious to you. He knows the walls of your soul aren't thick enough they aren't thick enough yet to uphold the weight of glory when revival comes. He's strengthening the walls of your soul so the outpouring won't crush you. 
See, that's, a, that's an older pastor who understands this, the heart of the father to give gifts, good gifts to his children. And if he's not coming through in the way this younger pastor thought, Lord, why would you not bring, bring revival? He actually has your best in mind. He doesn't want to pour out an answer on that prayer. It'll crush you. He's strengthening the walls of your soul to uphold the weight when his glory is revealed that way. Which helps me understand, I think one of the greatest gifts of heaven is going to be when God brings us around and we have some conversations about all the prayers he didn't answer. Maybe it's because I'm 54 now and you live a little bit more life and you just have a little more perspective and you just think of how gracious and kind God was to the things I was crying out for in my 20s and 30s that he so graciously didn't grant me. Has anybody been there? And just to think, Lord, you're so kind. Now, in that moment, I would have experienced was frustrating and difficult. But this is where Jesus says, but Simpson, in my master class, you've got to let me disciple you into this prayer. And remember, we started this class in that we've got to get a vision of the content of who we're talking with. A father who's in heaven, hallowed be his name, that we ground ourselves there. And that you're like the friend at midnight who's persistent and you stay on the praying way when you receive what you want and when you don't. And that you have this experience and this posture of an expectation that God is a generous God. And you're going to ask and receive, you're going to seek and find, you're going to knock and the door's going to be open. And that you know and you can anchor yourself in that who you're talking with is a God who's a father who is good and loves to give gifts. And you stay rooted right there and believe this, that he would have come through and answered if you knew everything that he knows, because it would have shaped your prayers that way. Which leads us now to the fifth and final module of the class. You still with me? If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, so the fifth and final module is his lengthiest module. Notice in your NIV Bible, it says Jesus and Beelzebub. Well, you didn't expect that in his master class, did you? This is the power encounter, Jesus says, that happens when you go into a praying life. It's verse 14 to 28. It's his largest module, and he basically spends several paragraphs talking about this power encounter between Satan's kingdom and Christ's kingdom when God's people set to pray. And it comes to a head in verse 20 to 22. Jesus says it this way, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. See, this isn't just some nice little neat, tidy prayer. This isn't just some like, Lord, bless this food type prayer. This is Jesus saying, hey, when you set yourself to pray the way Jesus disciples us to pray, there is a power encounter in the unseen realm. There are spiritual principalities and powers you can't see. And one of the most aggressive forms of weaponry we have as a follower of Christ is we go to prayer. Ephesians 6 says there's spiritual principalities and powers that our battle isn't always flesh and blood realities. And so you fight this battle you can't see through prayer. And notice that Jesus says the four previous modules have us where our focus goes. Our focus is on his character, on his promises, his name, and his role as our loving father. That's why the first four modules are important. He gets to this fifth module after grounding at first God's character, God's role, God's promise, God's name. Because here's the temptation that can happen. The deeper and deeper you get into prayer, 
Here's what can happen. You have this increasing sensitivity to the spiritual realities of life. That's a good thing. Like you begin to see things that perhaps you just kind of blew past before. But as you get deeper into prayer, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1, the eyes of your heart are enlightened. And so you just begin to see with more spiritual eyes and you have greater spiritual sensitivities. And those of you who have been on the praying way with Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, if you stay on this praying way, this is what you're going to find. Now here's the caution. The caution is as the spiritual realities become clear and you begin to see things that you formerly didn't see, the tendency is we can turn our focus, we can shift the focus away from God and his kingdom and it can turn inward or towards Satan and his kingdom. And that's the caution. That's why the first four modules he grounds us completely in, right? Our Father who art in heaven. He's like, hey, here's the deal. As you get into this praying way, as you go deeper, as you begin to have some power encounters in the spiritual realm, you don't, you, you live with this awareness. You have a healthy awareness. There is a kingdom of darkness who has a real enemy named Satan, whose main agenda is to kill, steal, and destroy what Christ and his purposes are about in this world and in your life. You don't live unaware of that, but you don't live focused on that. You don't get preoccupied on what Satan and his kingdom are about. You stay about what Christ and his kingdom are about. You keep the gaze of your heart on God, his promises, his character, and his ways, and then you do the spiritual battle with him because it's based on the authority of Christ. He's the strong man in the story. We don't have to live in fear of what Satan's up to in this world. In Christ, we have the power to overcome. That's the whole point of that section, that Jesus says, greater is he that's in you. That Christ has the greater power. And in Jesus' name, what does James say? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So you say, Satan, you have no rights by the power and authority of Christ and the finished work of Calvary. You must flee in Jesus' name. And you know what the Bible says happened? He flees. And so that's why God's people set themselves on the praying way. There's an encounter that happens in the spiritual realm. But the caution is our focus can shift. And some of you have some experiences in your prayer circles of the past or whatever, and you feel like there's just more conversations about Satan and demons and all that stuff. And that's where it gets derailed off. It needs to be about Christ and his kingdom and his work going forward. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Notice, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. A little bit later in the Lord's Prayer, he's going to deliver him from evil. But he starts with thy, thy, thy. That's a good word for us. That we join Jesus in this healthy awareness of the spiritual realm. But we don't allow the shift in our focus to become. We become aware, yet staying grounded and focused on the God who set us on the praying way. So how about this master class, church? Is this a solid class on prayer? If it's not, you got to take it up with Jesus. I'm just trying to represent his. But <laughs> Five modules. Look at this. The content of prayer, the Our Father. The attitude of prayer, the friend at midnight. The experience of prayer of asking, seeking, knocking. The heart of God in prayer, that he's a good, good father who wants to give gifts to us. And then this power encounter of prayer. Church, this is what it means to set our feet on the praying way. This is what it means to be discipled by Jesus in prayer. This is what it means for us as a church to become a house of prayer for the nations, to be discipled by Jesus into this praying life.
That's why I'm so encouraged by our prayer week this week. I was, I was adding up the hours yesterday. Somewhere around 300 hours of seed went in the ground this week. Isn't that encouraging? 300 hours of seed of prayer and seeking God went in the ground. So we're sowing the seed of prayer and seeking God because we're going to reap a harvest of presence and power. That's what we want. You sow seed to reap a different harvest. Remember that? Message from New Year's Eve, if you missed it a few weeks ago, but it's out of as Hosea 10, 12. We've got to sow a different seed to reap a different harvest. And we're committed as a congregation to sow a seed of prayer and seeking God 300 hours worth in the ground to reap a harvest of his presence and power that we believe for such a time as this warrants. So church, this is what it means to be on the praying way together. This is what it means to be a person who you might be aware of a pull, like you recognize you're not alone in this world. You recognize that God is active and you're pulled into a life of prayer. That's a good thing. And now <clears throat> what we want to do is submit ourselves to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the one who's going to disciple us in the praying way because we need help. Lest we find ourselves <clears throat> worshiping in congregations that call themselves atheist churches. That's a bit of a flaming snowflake for me. I don't understand. Because my understanding of what the church is, the church is about God. So when you remove God, you lose the church. It's his church bought with his blood. It's not a human entity, it's a God entity. And so you, you, you got to recap, that's why Jesus disciples us into this life. Because the life of prayer is really the core of life with God. With Jesus, there's no picture. You want to live your one and only life with God? There's no better way to live. And Jesus says, welcome to the praying way. Because a life of prayer is life with God. Worship team, come on back up. One final story, and we'll wrap up. This past Thursday, <clears throat> this past Thursday morning, our good friends and neighbors, Tim and Becky Doyle, we've been praying with them and walking with them through a really difficult chapter of their life, and this past Thursday morning, Tim Doyle passed away. Here's a picture of Tim, 62 years old, his dog Archie, we've been neighbors for 21 years, and um, Tim loves Jesus deeply, his wife Becky, Tim serves as an elder at College Park. Wife Becky's on staff there, and um, Tim has battled muscular dystrophy for many, many years. As long as we've known him, he's been mainly confined to a motorized wheelchair, and it's kind of been a slow, steady downward physically. And Becky has just loved and served and cared for Tim year after year, and the life, their everyday life just really hard. Like it's just existing every day is really, really hard. And there was a tremendous amount of physical sufferings, especially in these latter months. And but here's, here's the thing I was struck with Tim. Almost every time I saw Tim, and I knew how hard his life was, and I'd ask about how things were going with him, he would almost every time turn the conversation to this. He said, Eric, could you please tell me how I can pray for you? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for Kendra, I want to pray for Lily, I want to pray for Kaylin, and I want to pray for Eagle Church. Could you just give me kind of a, a bullet on each one here? He was so sincere. It wasn't that, you know, kind of a nice thing to say. No, he, he genuinely wanted, and then here's what he reminded me of. 
which this picture reminds me of. This is taken in his sunroom. He said, Eric, I want you to know I take the things that you ask me to pray about and I wheel my motorized chair into the sunroom. And I turn it, I turn it to face your house. And for years, I've lifted my hands off of my wheelchair. He says, lately it's only been three inches. And he lifts his hands up towards our home. And he calls out to God on our behalf. Church, Tim Doyle, he has a PhD in Jesus' master class on prayer. Tim Doyle has suffered deeply, but as his neighbor, I'm an eyewitness to this, he's worshiped Jesus even more deeply. On Thursday morning, Tim Doyle took his last breath in this life and all the sufferings of this life, and then his first breath in glory, face to face with the Jesus that he spoke with so personally for so many years. And church, in that, I, I, I wonder... I wonder when we get to glory, uh, I wonder if Jesus is going to pull us alongside as a congregation and say, hey, Eagle Church, you want to know when some mountains started moving? <laughs> you want to know when some things really started shifting? You want to know when some seed really started getting the ground? When Tim Doyle lifted his hands and called out. In an attitude of Luke 11, I knew he was talking to a good, good father. Can you imagine the persistence of Tim and Becky Doyle praying at midnight? There were a few times we'd get the text message and I'd go over to the house to try to help them with something that they needed help with. And they're just, just the physical difficulties of existing and then just to see them in this heart of praying and trusting. And then believing that they were with a good father who desires to give good gifts. And yet their portion and cup was much different than they ever imagined. And he just simply set himself on this life with God that he found to be a life of prayer. Church, that's not a life just for today. That's a life for tomorrow. That's a life for all of eternity. And that's an invitation of Jesus to us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just take a moment now as a congregation and just pray for Becky and her family as they plan out a memorial service for this week. Would you comfort them and surround them and what an amazing legacy it's going to be to talk about. Thank you that for 62 years of Tim's life, he lived on the praying way, serving you. I personally thank you for all the fruit that has come forth because of a Tim Doyle's prayer life. And we as a church are indebted. Thank you so much for a man who submitted himself to be discipled by you. And so God, as we enter into this new year and we got no idea what 24 holds, but we just want to submit ourselves and know that you hold it. 
And we just join the disciples now in Luke 11, and we simply say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Would you meet each one of us where we are? Some of us this morning, you're just getting started. You're just starting in on this life of prayer. Praise God. Jesus, just teach us to pray by the Holy Spirit. Others have been on the way for a long time. Lead us, grow us, strengthen us. Help us put some seed in this ground, Lord. We long to see a harvest for your glory, a mighty outpouring of your spirit. May it be so. We pray in Christ's name.